0: Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn so that in today's accelerated world we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, Learning Specialist Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. There are many different kinds of schools that offer different experiences for children. The United Kingdom is home to some of the most famous and historic independent schools in the world, with some schools dating back to as far as the 600s. So what do these schools look like in the modern era, and what is their approach to education that keeps them among the most sought-after schools in the world? To give an inside look at the best independent schools in the UK, I'm joined by the person at the core of investigating and writing about these schools. Tori Cadogan is the education editor at Tatler, the British magazine owned by Condé Nast. She writes about the UK's independent schools, edits the popular annual Tatler Schools Guide, and offers parents bespoke one-to-one education consultation. Tori also wrote, produced, and presented the accompanying podcast series, titled Tatler Talks Education, focusing on the well-being and mental health within the education system. Thank you very much, Tori, for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm really excited. And thank you so much.
0: I'm so glad that you came on the show. I would like to first ask you to tell people who are not necessarily familiar with Tatler, can you give a little bit of insight on the aspect of education that Tatler focuses on and the resources that you provide parents?
1: Well, thank you so much, Kinga, for this opportunity to discuss the Tatler Schools Guide. Basically, over the course of the year, the Tatler Schools Guide whittles down the UK's top independent schools to a shortlist of about three, well, to a shortlist of 250 of the very best educational establishments. To get to this list, we consider around 350 schools receiving in the region of 3,000 questionnaires With our incredible band of researchers traveling an estimated 2,000 miles for 189 hours of visits, all combined, it enables us to produce the most comprehensive and impartial school's guide on the market. Our aim is to give readers the insider's view, which would never be gained through an open day and really help parents make the right choice for their child. Each researcher is told to set off with one main question in their mind. Would I send my child here? or recommend the school for a close friend's child. The happy truth is that the 500,000 or more pupils attending the UK's 1,374 independent schools are academically, socially, economically, and culturally diverse. And we are looking for a cross-section of schools to reflect this. I strongly believe there's a school to suit every pupil. The tricky part is finding the right fit, Mm. which is where the Tatler School Guide hopes to help.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, so often you find out about the inside of a school from a fellow friend, a
1: mm-hmm. parent of
0: a student, and this way you are covering all the schools and acting as that.
1: I think parents can be so invested mm-hmm. in the choice. You know, obviously, you know, our children is such a, an emotive topic at the best of times, and schools are a massive economic and emotional investment for parents. Absolutely. And I think you can have people with really strong emotions one way or another, and I think it's always really interesting. You could have two siblings at a school and they could have completely polar opposite experiences. So I think parents have to be a little bit careful about listening to other parents' viewpoints just because it's brilliant and amazing and perfect for their child does not mean it's perfect for yours. And conversely, if it's not quite right for them, that doesn't mean it's not quite right for you, you know? And and good friends can agree to disagree on things, you know? And I, I think parents just got to go with their own gut feeling mm-hmm. and, and what works.
0: It's really great. Yeah. It's a really great substitute to the school visit to the speaking to others, reading about it. Yeah, I, think
1: it I think people need to visit the schools. Mm-hmm. They, they do. And it is tricky at the moment, obviously, because they can't. So it's all done online and the schools so have been fantastic. They've got these amazing virtual tours and there's one school in Scotland that um, they've literally, they on the back of a quad bike. And you can go and tour oh. the school like oh, wow. filming on this quad bike round. They're amazing grounds. And so they're, they're really trying to bring it to life. Mm-hmm. But it is not the same as going somewhere and you just get that gut feeling, don't you? you? You you arrive somewhere, you meet the students, you see the environment, you actually like the smell as well, the smell yeah. of the school, you know, whether this yeah. is going to work for you or not. And it's just, you know, and the people and everything. So it's it is such a shame not to visit, but you know, in itself, I think what the ta- schools guy can do is show you all the options out there and people can whittle it down to like three, four, or five that they really like, and then they can like go and visit and ask other parents, do their research.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And so the UK is very famous for some of their independent schools and the education that they provide is sought after worldwide. So we are talking about a niche in the, in the education market, but some of the schools that you write about and that you work with have absolute mythical reputations and, you know, go back hundreds of years and just have these incredible uh, reputations. So what do you think are some of the greatest misconceptions about the famous independent schools in the UK?
1: Mm, God, it's such a good question. I think there are two main misconceptions. One is their lack of inclusiveness, and two is that they're stuck in the past, that their eminent histories mean they're hindered by ancient traditions. And in my experience, that's just not really the case. Um, in fact, I think the reason these schools still exist and why pupils fly from all over the world to attend is their adaptability and willingness to seamlessly blend traditions that still work in the modern era with incredible state of the art and creative innovations. So if you take Eton, for example, with its Tony Little Research Center, where the college collaborates with Harvard, Oxford, Birmingham University, on topics like character development, growth mindset and well-being, their aim is to always be at the forefront of educational development to ensure their students and those at their state funded partner schools benefit from the absolute forefront of global teaching and learning developments. And yet I think you need to remember Eton was actually founded in 1440 by King Henry VI with the intention of providing opportunities of gaining the knowledge that he had enjoyed and to make provision for 70 poor boys known as King Scholars to be housed and educated at Eton for free. And this is where the tradition lives on in the shape of Eton's incredible bursary scheme, which offers £7 million worth of fee support for 20% of students receiving fee assistance 83 students on 110% bursaries. So that's sort of, you know, really a way of bringing history into the modern day. And Mm -hmm. and these are our roots. And so many of the schools have, were founded with these charitable foundations, and and they've really carried that through. And I think that also brings me on to inclusion. I totally accept, as do I think all the schools and most of the parents, that to be educated at one of these top private schools is an absurd privilege. It's, Mm -hmm. You know, it's incredible. It's amazing. And, you know, the, these kids are super lucky to, to have this opportunity. And it is something that the schools are really working hard to address. And I found it interesting that the Independent Schools Council census from 2020 looked at the ethnic makeup of the schools. And they actually found that the independent schools broadly mirror that of the state schools. With 34% of pupils are also receiving some level of fee assistance across the whole thing, up to 100%. So, and this figure will have increased quite a bit with COVID. So, mm. it's, you know, they are, they are attempting to bridge the gap. And I think I've also found that there is, there is like real work for the students to also like be aware of their privilege, and the schools sort of really work hard to make sure they give back. So you've got 85% of the independent schools are involved in partnerships with state schools. So this will include reading with younger pupils, preparing A-level students for higher education, sharing facilities and seconding teaching staff. And last year, between 11 and £15 million was raised for charities and 969 schools organised volunteering opportunities for pupils and staff. So that's fantastic. They try to to bridge the gap. It, people will still say it's not enough, but there is sort of work being done to try. So. Right.
0: No, that's really important to know and it's and it's good to know because for example with Eton you really only hear about it when you're talking about prime ministers and Prince William, Prince Harry having gone to Eton. So you really don't know this history and the fact that they do make efforts to be more diverse. So that's fantastic. That's a really good thing to know. So obviously there's resources to be able to do some amazing things and a history of having learned best practices. So what are the things that are done really well in these schools? Can you give some, some examples of what they have done really well?
1: <laughs> it's a really tough question because I think as I look at them, I think they do so many things brilliantly. Yes. And the innovation is like, you know, mm-hmm. it's mind boggling, really. I mean, obviously, and this is your interest area, the use of technology and the increasing use of AI is like really interesting. I think that's amazing. But I think more specific, like things like the use of extracurricular, you know, a lot of the reason why these schools, are special, the reason why, it's not because they teach a child to add up or the basic rudimentaries of academics. It's this whole character education. That, that's what makes them different. And so much that comes from this extra, extracurricular they're exposed to see what yeah, I works think it's just,
0: with them, what they're inclined towards and gives them the opportunity to see what might be in their nature that they didn't discover before. Which it's really so
1: interesting. And I think even like a London prep school like Thomas's, which is actually where the Duke of Cambridge's children are at, mm-hmm. they have 65 extra clubs a week that children can choose from. And I mean, other schools, you'll get hundreds of societies and clubs, many of which the students actually devise themselves, which plays into your query about creativity and leadership. Another example is uh, St. Paul's Boys School in London, which is where some of the brightest boys in the country, uh, they they got a girls school as well. and, And that's where some of the brightest girls in the country will study. And each lunchtime, the boys have a hundred minutes to enjoy clubs and societies mm-hmm. um, and they have a short lunch with that. Um, and, and things need to go. Um, but a large majority are phenomenally, I mean, they're so bright and a bit, it, it was just like, great. I, I went on a tour there. I was like, wow, what these boys rocked at lunchtime. And I, I saw microbiologists isolating the phosphorescence DNA of jellyfish. Oh my gosh, okay. Um, then there was a balloon satellite club who have created a mini computer to take photos and measurements of the changing shape of a balloon as it enters the upper atmosphere. And they don't have DT, they have, which we call design technology. They call it engineering. And there's a studio at lunchtime, which was like bursting with boys and they were building a race car from scratch. And hmm. went to a girl's school called Benenden, which is actually where Princess Anne was educated. And the girls there, they built... Flew and then sold their own micro light, and I, I hasten to add, they sent their headmistress um, at the price up in the micro light. Oh, really, wow, uh, that's that was incredible. pretty pretty. pretty. <laughs> it's
0: quite the adventure, <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, and of course, there's other clubs of gender issues, LGBT, anything really that the pupils, you know, I think all the schools I've been to say, so if enough pupils get together and say this is really important to us, we want to look into this. Of course. They're like, of course, get together and we'll have we'll provide a teacher to support you. So I mean that's a really special thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And they're encouraging um, a lot of leadership, aren't they? In their no. students. How are, what are some ways that they're encouraging the leadership?
1: I think they talk a lot about this autonomy. So this freedom of choice, this this I think so much happiness comes from students when they feel that they've chosen that path and they've made it work mm-hmm. and and they've had that freedom. And I think you know they're supported in that route but that autonomy comes up again and again as, as a really powerful learning mechanism and I think it's interesting like you talk about the arts which of course is so so essential and mm-hmm. something that actually you know the private schools can really invest in they're lucky enough to have that and you've got schools like Stowe I don't know if you've you know, which is actually like an example. I mean, the building is so beautiful that the whole school is pretty much a piece of art. Mm -hmm. Um, And to explain to listeners, you know, this is a grade one listed National Trust treasure with, I mean, it is surely one of the most magnificent buildings in Britain, let alone school buildings. And the South Front, for example, stretches over 279 meters of honey-hued Palladium splendor. I mean, it is... Oh my goodness, usual. sounds to, ...like playing fields and an octagon lake, and it's up to this Corinthian arch, and they've got landscape gardens by Copability Brown. I mean, it is, like, really, wow. How can you not learn? Absolutely. That sounds gorgeous. I think even Queen Victoria was bewildered by them. So, I mean, <laughs> it's it's kind of hard not to kind of be immersed in art and culture when, when you study there. Absolutely. And I think a lot of schools offer, actually they have their own in-house artists in residence. Uh, they have poets in residence. Um, they have galleries that they share with the public. And um, the same goes with theater. Um, it's a school called St. Edward's in Oxford. Um, they have a great theater space and they open that up for uh, touring productions and anyone from the public can go. And, that's fantastic. And uh, the North Wall. And so that's another example. I, a lot of schools do the same. Music. I mean, obviously the, the choral schools are, and the choristers are just, oh, mm-hmm. so, uh, like so incredible to listen to. But, yes. and, and they have that amazing history, but I mean, even like going back to Stowe has got a a Sony recording studio, no less. Um, And a number of prep schools do teach DJing and and modern skills. So it's all there.
0: And it's very interesting to have the artist in residence and musician in residence so that you actually see how the profession plays out Mm -hmm. and what they have learned in their profession, which must be an incredible tool to be able to talk to the professional and have them... Give an example of the way that the art is actually created, not just to teach you.
1: So interesting because, like a, a London school called Francis Holland, which is a girls' school, they've just opened up a space where businesses can come and be based mm-hmm. with the ethos that they then mentor girls in sit form. Okay, so that they can like by osmosis learn about business and and you know that kind of in- So it's not just artists and you know and music and perch, but also business and it, I think it is learning that skills lab from people actually doing it who are it.
0: doing it absolutely I've never heard of that before where there's a share space and the mm. and the the, the reverse is that you contribute by talking to the students and uh, and helping the students understand what it's about that's really that's a very interesting kind of uh win-win situation that yeah. that can be done I, w-
1: I think there's some rent involved as well I, oh, okay. I have a feeling. <laughs>
0: still central fantastic
1: In central london i wouldn't think anything's free so. exactly
0: yeah. that's really good though that's very interesting way to bring in the professionals and uh and learn from them which is wonderful and you've also told me a little bit about a girl's school that does really phenomenal programming and computer science
1: yes which yes. i'm sure happens uh, at
0: many schools but
1: uh, yeah i st paul's girl's school um absolutely incredible and they're just building a whole new center. They have a very smart term for it which I can't remember off of my head but it is basically IT and creative mm. technology um, and it's going to be the most stunning space and these girls are phenomenal. I mean they're so bright but I think what's really interesting when I when I spoke to their head was she was absolutely evangelical that they must be technologically bilingual they mm-hmm. coding needs to be as natural to them mm-hmm. as speaking their their birth language you know it, it's got to be part of them and they had these incredible programs where I mean you know their rob- robotics program was just amazing but then they also said they did this whole kind of virtual world where they built a map and mm-hmm. the map was visual to everyone in the assembly and you could it, it was it was so advanced and clever and and really inspiring and I think you know girls of the future need to be technologically savvy or girls boys everyone does absolutely and it's
0: so important to have that culture where it comes from the head that Mm -hmm. we just all need to learn this like we learn another language and it needs to be a part of our part of our curriculum and our our culture which is a very encouraging uh, way to to get girls involved in the sciences as well that's a really important thing when you see that from from the leadership. So that's great. Well, I'm sure we can go on forever about the very interesting, different uh, yep. the ways that education is approached and the wonderful resources. But a very important characteristic of a good school is the type of support uh, and the continuous professional development that they offer to their teachers. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the good practices that you have seen in the way schools support their teachers?
1: Mm, I think this is So important and interesting. I think this year, especially, you know, the teachers have had a really tough time of it. I was reading through some of my notes yesterday and I was looking at. there was a London prep school, for example, that sent teachers to Yale to learn about character development. One of the former high mistresses of St. Paul spent time in Australia studying positive psychology, which she then brought back to her students. And another really interesting aspect I read about was um, Dalit College, which is an incredible boys' school in, in London is now the London hub for two national training programmes, which place between 30 and 40 trainees teachers per year in different range of schools. And another example of really good leadership is the all-girls Roman Catholic boarding school, St Mary's Ascot, where nine teachers under the leadership of former head Mary Bream went on to take up headships in other schools. So it really shows that kind of, you know, teaching down if that makes sense
0: absolutely so what do you think is the secret to creating that culture like what did the head do that fostered that environment where so many of their teachers went on to to be heads
1: mirroring isn't it setting by example and really giving them the autonomy and confidence to to run their departments and to have that confidence to go on I think you know and I mean St Mary's is a phenomenal school in fact it's it's small but it's non-selective in many ways and its results put it possibly in the top five in the country which is you know to take non-selective and turn that around is really amazing that's amazing Mm.
0: wonderful wow well that's a very important thing because continuous professional development is so key isn't it uh for the teachers for the students for the culture of the school so it's it's interesting to see how they're intertwining that by having centers in Mm. the school and, uh, and to teachers from outside of their school also come yeah. to that center?
1: Yeah, right. so it's, it, it's, I think it's part of, I, I would need to check, but I think it's part of the Teach First thing, so okay. people can, can come there having previously been something else and then come mm-hmm. and retrain, and um, I, I think it's a really interesting way to immerse educational development within a school system. And they have the space and the room to do it, so it's great.
0: It's wonderful. So this is certainly creating a very strong community in the school and among the teachers. And a strong community really does enable students to thrive and to learn, and to school to be for the school to be a wonderful place. So the school's community really does extend beyond the school gates. As one example, being that they have teacher development in the school. Um, but it also includes alumni and the wider community overall. So what are some examples, some interesting examples of how these communities are fostered and supported?
1: Mm, I, I think the essence of community is everything to the independent schools, but I'm mean, probably especially the boarding schools. I think it is all about community and that whole sense of being one massive family in a way. Mm-hmm. And yes, um, yes. and I think this year, especially has tested that more than most, uh, I think there's been a lot of talk of school closures mm-hmm. and that's actually detracted from the fact that the majority of schools uh, in the UK have actually stayed open for children of key workers and vulnerable children. It's been amazingly heartening to see schools and they've been providing meals for those in isolation, setting up food banks. DT departments have been turned over to provide much-needed PPE. Boarding houses have been offered up as accommodation to NHS and other key workers. Mm -hmm. Laundries have been working full-time to keep clothes sanitised. There's also been incredible acts of fundraising. And, of course, online school resources like EtonX have been offered for free to any state-educated pupils who wish to log in. Mm -hmm. A great number of schools have donated laptops and have done fundraising. And gathered other resources for children to study at home. Uh, one school called Reigate Grammar School actually created uh, ten NHS bursaries for children of key workers. On top of that, you've seen schools really gather their pupils, parents, and alumni together with really imaginative online ideas, from like Lou Roll Sports Challenge, which okay. Is- something extraordinary um, to virtual dance-a-thons and online swimming galas and quiz nights and I mean you name it they've done it and I think it's been it's been really wonderful to see how you can build community online.
0: Mm, Which is notoriously difficult so that's certainly an important bridge Mm -hmm. to come across and try to find that connection so that's interesting to have virtual dance and uh, and the such but also having that community outreach in a time of crisis mm-hmm. I'm sure builds very strong community ties within the school and with the larger community doesn't it
1: I, th- I think it's incredibly bonding mm-hmm. actually and I think a lot of the big schools are in the center of towns and some of the towns there's been nervousness about communities of a thousand students coming from all over the world back with the possibility of them bringing COVID with them so schools have you know they've set up testing centers I mean there's been it's been phenomenally well organized where Mm -hmm. before students even arrive at school they're all sent into these marquees tested they are then held for half an hour Mm -hmm. till their results are clear they're put in isolation if there's any positive tests so really protect Mm -hmm. the people around them the the wider community and make sure they feel safe with the students around all the students wear masks whenever they're out in public and I I feel the schools have done really tried to do their utmost in a difficult time It's really great
0: and in normal times have what are some interesting examples that you've seen and how they hold together the community of students alumni faculty and the the community at large
1: I, I think a lot of it is like opening up facilities to uh, mm-hmm. local people. So, you know, pretty much all the schools, their pools or their sports facilities or their gyms, or if they got lectures, you know, local community can always come and watch. I think it's the same with music. You know, a, a lot of the kids go and play in the local care home or mm-hmm. whatever. As I mentioned before, I think they they do try their best to bring the community in and go out into the community to help that balance.
0: That must create very strong bonds, which is really important and creates for a very good-
1: I hope so, it doesn't always work, but I think you really see schools trying.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great, that is really good. And some of the independent schools offer very different structures from the normal regular co-ed day schools that most people are used to. And these can include boarding, girls' schools, boys' schools, as well as nature schools or green schools so what are some examples of the benefits of these different kind of schools obviously this is a big topic in itself with all the different <laughs> types but what, what kind of stands out for you some? I, think, I
1: think it's a great question and i think i understand that boarding especially around the world is quite a contentious belief system do I do I even call it a belief system um I think although the Harry Potter effect probably diminishes a little bit it's not as
0: common as in the UK it's not necessarily as part of a culture Mm -hmm.
1: I think it's sort of traditionally always been part of our schooling or educational and it is lessening in areas but still very strong in other areas I think but I think for many children it's it's actually a really good experience and it's a lot of fun I think the school's offering boarding from seven years old. That is becoming increasingly rare, full boarding mm-hmm. at seven years old. But I, most of them will offer flexi, we call it flexi boarding, which is like one or two nights a week, or a weekly boarding, which is where you either come in on a Sunday night or a Monday morning and you go home on a Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And there are just lots of, lots of benefits. I mean, there, obviously, there are lots of arguments against it. I completely hear those and I get it. And mm-hmm. But I think once a child is, 13, they want to be with their friends. I mean, you, I mean you're more of an expert. But they love being around their friends. They love socializing. I think um, schools are brilliant at you know, creating independence. They are great at creating incredibly close bonds between mm. the children. You know, they, they become almost like family to one another. They have the ability to spread the school week out in a much more relaxed way, because they'll quite often have Saturday school, which sounds horrendous. But at the day schools, you might get a really busy day, Uh, you know, Monday, Tuesday is absolutely ram packed. Whereas if you add in a Saturday school, you can sort of spread it out. And you might have three afternoons a week, which is just clubs or activities or just sports. So they've got that freedom to do that. I think there is the life lesson which all of us can benefit from of learning to live alongside anyone and everyone you Mm -hmm. know I think children go into boarding school and not everyone in your dormitory is going to be your best friend but it's learning to just be friends you know just get on not not get too bugged by so and so doing this or you know and, and that's a real massive life skill I think also not commuting we all know about children's circadian rhythms and by the teen years you know and I think just not having that stress of in a car a bus a train a tube whatever to get to school in the morning you literally roll out you're there it's all on tap the relationships between the teachers and the pupils becomes very strong because mm-hmm. they are loco parents, and so so they learn to turn to mentors and and so on and as I say I, I fully hear that there are massive arguments about not having children away from their family and so on but I think in the teen years, it's, it can work really, really well. And I think where people are also sort of questioning is the single sex boarding schools. What's interesting is there's actually only four left of the all boys all boarding schools in the UK. So okay. there's Eton, Harrow, which you might have heard of as well, where Winchester went radley which is school in oxfordshire and then winchester which is where our chancellor rushi sunak went and is super bright and and actually only last weekend there was a news report whether it's true or not that winchester is considering going co-ed so you know we're down to if, if they do i don't know if they will And um, that would be down to only three all boys all boarding yeah you know, as i say it's very much horses for courses i say to parents to actually choose the school if you find a school you really really love don't get too hung up on whether it's single sex or co-ed try and find the school and the ethos and mm-hmm. whether it's aligned to your values and whether it's local or close enough that you can go and visit the whole time. Cause that's mm-hmm. the other thing with boarding. I think people have this perception that you drop them off on day one and like Harry Potter, you don't see your family. for. But it's just not the case. You know, parents are completely part of that community. That mm-hmm. is absolutely essential. So they're there watching matches they can take them out for tea whenever they want they can watch you know they they really make sure they're involved there's email communication all the time the kids can call whenever they want I mean they've got mobile phones on them Mm -hmm. so it's it's not how it used to be
0: absolutely and again it's it's so much dependent on who the student is and what they need what kind of personality they have what kind of supports uh work best for them and and finding all of these different schools have a lot of benefits, um, depending on the certain on the students. One really big part of the independent schools that people think about are the fees, and some of these schools do have extremely high fees, and um, and and that is obviously a restrictor to a lot of people. However, what is I think less known is the financial support that is also available to students. So you touched on that a little bit before, but I would really like you to tell me a little bit more about the different types of financial support and different types of programs out there because it is not widely known, and I think it's really important for people to be aware of.
1: Yeah, I I, I think it's really interesting. In, independent schools actually offer in the region of 1.1 billion pounds in fee assistance per year, wow. which I think. It's- It's a lot, you know, and and I think where it gets complicated is families not knowing the difference between scholarships and bursaries, because you don't always have to have an exceeding talent to get the help. So a scholarship is actually an award for excellence that may or may not have financial benefit, whereas bursaries are financial assistance that may or may not require exceptional talent. And it's really complicated. each school has their own rules, mm-hmm. and the general thing I say to parents is inquire as you go. Um, and schools are, however, increasingly making scholarships, nominal awards, to ensure that financial help is not given to pupils that could otherwise pay. So Wellington College, for example, which is a fantastic school, um, scholarships haven't carried any financial benefits since 2014. Mm-hmm. They're recognized in terms of prestige and honor, and. All their bursaries are means tested with the primary focus being on giving 110% awards. These Mm. are the awards where they not only pay your fees, but they will pay for your uniform, your trips, any essential equipment like laptops, everything so that you can be 100% involved in school life. There's never a moment where you turn around and go, I can't do that because I, I can't have that opportunity because no, everything is paid for and what they're really looking for is for children um, who come in the bottom half of the population in terms of income and opportunity. Mm -hmm. And they really say there's no specific talent required, they've just got to show that they've got potential to meet the college's academic criteria because nobody wants to be in a school struggling academically. Um, And I think the really important thing for families to understand is bursaries require complete financial transparency. So you can't just say, oh, I'd, I'd like that. They look through all your bank accounts. They Some of them come and visit your home and some have um, thresholds that uh, you can't have a family income in, in excess of. Honestly, each school has, it's mm. quite, I wish they all have one set framework, but they don't. So it is what it is. Um, and I think another interesting is this charity called the Royal Springboard. Mm-hmm. foundation which they actually provide places for children in boarding schools for children who are at risk so these children could potentially be on the verge of going into state care um, and they take them out of quite complex situations and give them truly transformational opportunities at the top boarding schools in the country so everywhere from Eton to Marlborough College to I honestly or, or pretty much all the boarding schools uh, in my guide will have some Royal Springboard uh, students. And I think for parents who are at the school, I say to them, you know, how amazing is this? Because it means their pastoral care at that school needs to be really exceptional mm-hmm. because they need to be able to integrate these students as if absolute normality. And I think it's something the schools are really excited about. They really love being able to help. They love seeing the transformation. They love the opportunities these kids then get. It's, it's-
0: so it's not just the full package of being able to go to the school but it's also the pastoral care of facilitating with with the integration with Mm -hmm. understanding the culture with the child also being understood so it's a it's a much more complex
1: it's really complex and I think uh with the charity they work a lot with youth leaders in areas of East London or Newcastle or or wherever and uh, right across the country and really to make sure that the candidates they put forward are right for the experience and really want to embrace it and are able to embrace it with the right support in place. It's a seismic change. I I interviewed one boy called Ryan, who um, he went up to Glen Armands and it's this fantastic school in Scotland. And he said, as he arrived, it looked like Disneyland. He literally (laughs) could not believe that this castle existed and he was going to go to school at this castle it it was so out of his mindset that this even mm. existed and he said on day one he went to drama he'd never done drama before you know mm. it it was amazing and he grabbed every opportunity he's been training to be a broadcast journalist he's an ambassador for ross it's changed his life
0: that was a wonderful story and that's on the podcast that you do the oh, Tetler okay. talks and it was really I really enjoyed listening to his story and that actually gives people a better insight on why it was a good opportunity for him and what that looked like so that's definitely something to to take a look at it was really he, good
1: he was great isn't he he's, mm. he's
0: a funny guy really really great and so I think the important point is that really someone should inquire at the school that they're interested in and, uh, and that they are always very, very willing to talk and willing to answer questions and to find out what they're offering.
1: And I, I think a lot of them offer what they call bridging programs. So they will do Saturday schools for um, a school called Godolphin Latimer in London. And they do it's just one example, but loads of schools do it. And they do these Saturday programs where kids from local state primaries can go and get mentoring and some extra study time and really sort of do well and and that gives them the opportunity to see what is available mm-hmm. um, possibly I, I think what the schools say is they don't want to be accused of taking all the best students away from the local state system mm-hmm. that's not that at all they just the opportunity is there should parents wish to apply that's great and it's not just the academics there I think sport as well so schools like Millfield okay. will be looking for sporting talent other schools be looking for artistic talent for engineering I mean all different kind of areas so
0: very interesting yeah so they're all very different but the best thing is to just inquire and find out and uh, if that works for your child then to find out what what they're offering and what's available so you have a very enviable job of being able to explore and 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 visit all of these wonderful schools throughout throughout the United Kingdom. So what are some stories that really stand out in your mind in the different visits and the different uh, experiences that you've had?
1: I think you and I could both agree education is such an incredible topic. It's so diverse Mm -hmm, isn't it? Exactly. It opens up to so many different areas and it it is really wonderful. i am always thinking of a million different stories (laughs) and I'm fascinated (laughs) to sort of follow through on I I just say oh wow okay give me the time I mean obviously there's online school actually was already becoming quite a big thing even before lockdown it was becoming something that a lot of schools were starting to offer Harrow had started their own online program and for sick form and meaning kids all over the world could study so Hmm. a number of schools had done Eton X as I said and um there there are a number of them. So COVID has been very interesting to see how that online provision has changed and how Mm. children actually cope with that much online time and Mm. getting the balance right. And there were some schools trying to do literally a full day because they wanted to sort of justify to parents that, you know, they they were really still giving them a similar schooling opportunity as they had in school, but it's too much. So it's it's getting that balance. Um, I think Another interesting story is a lot of the UK schools are opening overseas schools. Mm-hmm. And um, so huge amounts are opening in not just China, but all across Asia mm. and actually all over the world. So, how often are those schools really representative of the home schools? You know, uh, are they actually of a similar standard? Are they not? Are they mm. diluting the number of international students actually? coming over? uh, Or are people still wanting to come to the main schools? I I think that's all kind of fascinating. I mean, to be fair to the schools, they do it as a money stream to help fund bursaries. So they sort of justify it in that way. But it's still an interesting thing. Do you find that they're able to
0: transfer some of their best practices into a school at a distance? In some cases. In some cases. Okay. In
1: some cases. So some cases, they're very, very involved and it's a very close relationship and staff do a lot of interchanging. So it really gives, and we were talking before about teacher opportunities. Right. It's a wonderful thing as a teacher. If you can say, actually, I want to go and teach in Malaysia for a year, I, I, I'm i going to go and, and do a year here or there. But I think... Some of them they've opened 50 or more schools and you know, kind of mushrooming. So, and I, I don't know how involved the main school would be with those. right. You know, That's kids, interesting you know, without visiting I, I can't I can't yeah. but I think also I'm interested in, there have been a number of changes. Uh, To curriculum in response to the BLM issues that arose in the summer. So that's been really interesting and and much needed. There's another whole argument about cancelling GCSEs. So, GCSEs are exams, and actually, the guy who created them, this man called Lord Baker, has come forward and said he does not feel that they're really fit for purpose anymore. And last year, of course, our exams were cancelled. This year, they're looking. So GCSEs are cancelled, but iGCSEs, which the international version, are not cancelled. So a lot of upset and discord yeah. and just not knowing for students. So right. um, I think there's this argument going forward, which everyone from the head of BDELs to uh, Eton to um, brilliant neuroscientists are saying we need to get rid of GCSEs altogether. So... will go in their play.
0: Right. So this is very specific to the United Kingdom where GCSEs at the age of 16, I believe, is it? that?
1: I think where it's not specifically British is this argument of of testing. Is testing still the best way to ascertain uh, the retention of knowledge or understanding? I don't know.
0: So there's a big discussion, isn't there, in that, in the value of testing. And of course, in the US, especially, there's also a lot of similar discussion in standardized testing, even though it's not the same as the GCSE, it happens at different points in the students' uh, school life. But essentially that's the bottom of the argument is, should there be standardized testing and what is the value? So that's an interesting argument to have. And uh, and so that's being really considered in the UK, especially now that in the past two years, they haven't been able to do that, the testing.
1: Exactly, Mm. and I think, weirdly enough, it came about, they were talking about so children aged 13 used to, well, still do sometimes, but not really anymore, sat an exam called Common Entrance to get into their senior schools. Mm-hmm. And that's then being cancelled to make way for something called ISCB, which is um, online tests. Mm-hmm. And so that was then cancelled. Then the GCSEs have been questioned. I, I'm just seeing this movement, mm-hmm. this whole movement created to say, what is the value of testing? It, is there value? Is is this... an and also you've got to look at send pupils, you know, how are they getting their chance to really show their brilliance? Is mm. is examination the best way for that? Sorry, by SEN I, I mean special educational needs. I, I don't know if that <laughs> translates. Yes. <laughs> um, sorry, uh, apologies. Uh, and, and and I think a lot of it's for them, you know, a dyslexic kids might not come out as brilliantly in a mm. written exam. That doesn't mean they're not super brilliant and clever and great. So I think just people are looking at a more diverse way of assessing intelligence. And I think it's exciting.
0: Absolutely. And to reconsider what exactly do we want students to learn and how do they show that it's a very interesting discussion that is, that is definitely happening around the world. Well, I'm sure there's so many more stories that, uh, that you could say.
1: Yeah. there are just so many. I, you know, I think um, there's very interesting um, dyslexia charity that's okay. called mental Dyslexia that set up a whole way to teach. Uh, they've gone in company with Microsoft Education, okay. and they put the a whole program to teach um, teachers to spot dyslexics in the classroom because they're mm, early very important. Um, so that's obviously just fabulous and amazing and great. Um, mental health is always a question that I'm looking at and considering and lockdown by all accounts has, has had big implications on that. Social media, (laughs) positives and negatives.
0: Mm -hmm. Which also plays into the mental health, doesn't it? For, especially for teenagers. Have you seen, not necessarily, even though mental health has been certainly exacerbated during the COVID times, but even before that, have you seen any practices that particularly stuck in your mind of really good ways of addressing mental health? In students,
1: mm, I think um, schools have whole well-being weeks. Mm-hmm. They have well-being months. I mean, they they really take it very seriously now, and it's just integral mm-hmm. to education. Um, all the schools offer counselling, psychologists, very close relationships. The the reporting that the schools have. On the nuances of children's well being, on their responses is, is so intricate now. It, mm-hmm. it is really amazing. And, and, you know, these wonderful stories of children maybe who have anxiety and they, I don't know if you guys use it, but the red card system. So they, they don't need to put their hand up if they're feeling anxious. They can mm-hmm. just put their red card on their desk and then they're allowed to leave and go and spend some time mm-hmm. outside and get a breather and just very kind of thoughtful quiet ways a lot of schools now so weatherby school which is where young princes went uh, many years ago they actually now have somewhere called the hub which is like this this lovely space up at the top of their building which has got lava lamps and special kind of rugs and blankets and and boys just go there and chill out during the day and go and snuggle up and just have time where everyone's peaceful everyone's quiet nobody's shouting or making noise. If you just need time out and you find the noise of everyday life too much, then that's a quiet space for them to go. And I think schools are moving more to that kind of ethos. There's so many examples. Absolutely. It's
0: wonderful. I mean, it's so important to understand what causes a lot of problems for students, but also to recognize and how to manage them and to, to talk about it. It's just incredibly important. And I mean, when I was junior dean at Oxford, I saw so much of how undergrads could be struggling. And, uh, and it's, it's very dangerous in the sense that often it's the quiet student. It's the very, very highly achieving student that actually is struggling, going through something incredibly hard in the way that they're struggling internally. So it's just a huge spectrum of the different types of students and the different ways in which they can be struggling and and not overlooking that because maybe they're getting good grades or they're well behaved. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually not going through something extraordinarily difficult. So it's good to hear that this conversation is happening. In, and um, I, I
1: think the schools are very conscious of the concept of perfectionism and and girls and boys just desperately trying to attain, you, you know, go above and beyond in attainment levels. and. And I think a, a lot of schools, St Paul's, for example, coming back to them, they they don't have testing up until, and, and certainly they would never share the grades. So they they've removed all sense of comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, you know,
0: focusing um, on learning um, instead.
1: Yeah, in, in the yeah. old days, schools would read out all the results, maybe an even in assembly. So uh, mm-hmm. a child that hadn't done so well, everyone knew. Every, you know, now none of that would happen. It would be. Shocking so I think a lot of but a lot of the burden is they put on themselves even Mm -hmm. if we removed all the stress and strain It's an internal mechanism and that's hard to to fight without
0: Absolutely, it's very complex and how to balance motivating and and encouraging with also the uh, pressure (laughs) So it's 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 a very complex topic, but it's good to hear people are doing lots of good work around it so in terms of parents, so you definitely advise parents as well through the magazine, but also in different ways. What do you think parents should be looking for when they're searching for a school for their child?
1: I think it's, it's all about this right fit for mm-hmm. their child. I think in the UK, it can be quite tempting to go after some of those really big names. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing with those schools is... They require a certain type of pupil to go to Eton today. So when my generation would go there, they would only be taking the top third of my generation. It is it is that much more academic and they're looking for really all round boys. You know, you, you've got to be great at sport, art, <laughs> the, whole, the whole picture, you know, as well as super bright and confident and able to cope in a boarding environment. So I think, parents maybe need to take their own sort of preconceived desires out of the picture and really look at their child, focus in on what makes them happy. Will they be happy in a big school? Will they be happier in a small school? Will they like the closeting feeling or are they going to be happy commuting? Are they going to want to come home at night? Will they be happy with good morning? But I think it's really looking at your child and working out what works for them. I'm trying to block out the noise of what everyone else is doing and it's visiting and getting that gut feel of what will work.
0: Mm, Really good advice. That's really, really important. Tori, I mean, there's so much to talk about in terms (laughs) of these brilliant independent schools in the UK. And thank you for giving an insight. But before we end, I would like to ask you if you have a recommendation for something to read or watch that inspires you.
1: I I have so many. I'm embarrassed (laughs) that I'm obsessed. listening to audible um and because i read so much work when i sort of like switching off i i like the audible i love it too (laughs) (laughs) um and the book i think you would really enjoy you probably already know her is dr sarah jane blakemore's inventing Mm -hmm. ourselves
0: okay inventing i haven't read it oh
1: so she's incredible and uh she's a neuroscientist she's Think the lead professor at Cambridge University now on neuroscience but I mm-hmm. might have got that incorrect um and she does the secret life of the teenage brain and it's oh, absolutely brilliant and uh she's also been doing some webinars um and I went on one the other day and her discussion on actually how brilliant social media has been for the teenagers and their brains during lockdown and she's fantastic talking about risk why teenagers will do something you know why a really educated bright brilliant teenager might choose to take drugs at a party when they know how dangerous they are and Mm. she talks about how the need to fit in can be greater than their fear of risk and I probably summarized it dreadfully and and that sounds
0: fascinating though
1: you need to listen to her but she's really bright. She's one of the ones arguing for GCSEs to be cancelled. She's very, very interesting. Um, I also think, I mean, personally, I love Michelle Obama's um, (laughs) coming. I think she's just brilliant. Um, There's the ex-head of Eton, Tony Little, who they've now created their research centre all around. Um, He wrote something called The Intelligent Person's Guide to Education. It's a little bit old now, but it's still very relevant. And his knowledge on teenage boys, I mean, actually, he taught in a co ed school before, so he's knowledgeable across the board, but his knowledge on boys, especially, is phenomenal. And there are things where he's written to a parent about their teenage boy, and it's just still very much resonates with today. Fantastic. And then on the girls' front, there's Christopher, who's the High Mistress of St. Paul's, wrote The Making of Her. And that looks at the whole school year. And it's it's just a real insight into a private school and very hyper-academic girls. And she opens with this scene where a girl's lying on the marble staircase in floods of tears because she's got, I think she's got 11 GCSEs and one of them is an A, not an A star. And wow. she's having a meltdown over it. And, and it's that level. So it was interesting what we were talking about. That's fascinating. And then one recent one I... Also, I, 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 can you guys get BBC and BBC Sounds? Sadly and... not. Only
0: through, oh. I think now there's some kind of a streaming service for BBC, but I, I miss it very, very much.
1: Their education offering during lockdown has been super amazing. The um, BBC Bites, isn't it? Their Bites, but also they've done a whole... I think they say it's it's the biggest educational broadcasting program since the world war it's, it's every day they've had programs on for kids that's a really really great resource my goodness you've
0: those are all brilliant books and resources thank you so much and uh,
1: I already took note of
0: which ones I will I still have to read so that's really great well thank you well Tori it has been an absolute pleasure and I really appreciate your insights into these historic and wonderful independent schools in the UK it's a really special glimpse into a very unique aspect of education so thank you so much for coming on the podcast
1: thank you thank you so so much thank you